0: Namo tasa bhagavato rahato sammha sambhu tasa Namo tasa bhagavato rahato sammha sambhu tasa Namo tasa bhagavato rahato sammha sambhu tasa dhammang masami When the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths, he regarded this as the kind of uh, thing, the pinnacle of teaching. Only Buddhas have really fully understood, fully penetrated, though it can be expressed quite simply. You know, the experience of loss, suffering, discontent, resistance, things not being the way they should be. Imbalance, that experience, and in the sense of how that how that rises up, what, what you know, what causes it or what conditions it, what brings it into being. we trying to uh, there's certain forms of 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 thirst, longing, for, for security, for stability, for being something for having something, something, you know, for trying to get away from something. and These are not just ideas, they're not conscious decisions, they're, they're reflexes, tanha, so that, like you don't decide to feel thirsty, it just happens, and uh, it's, it's very strong and powerful. So tanha literally means thirst, appetite, hunger, so it's not desire as some conscious motivation or interest it's a, something that grabs you it's a reflex it's Im- embedded and you get a strong feeling of want things to be something steady you know predictable, reliable, solid Or so you're trying to plan for the future hmm. trying to set up situations that will hold things In a way that we feel, we know what's going on. Feel clear, steady, with very strong um, uh, reflex for us. Also, the 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 reflex to get rid of things, to kind of eliminate these problematic stuff, or you know, in oneself, get rid of one's weaknesses, flaws. Then, of course, externally get rid of the things that annoy me, you know, disappoint me, challenge me, frighten me. So I'll be all right. Then you know, Things will be steady and okay. And then, of course, there's this appetite we have for to be filled with something, the sense, sense, sights, touches, tastes, moods, feelings, so that we can actually feel filled by it. And the problem is, as long as we are following that reflex, we're always you know, holding on to things that can't actually live up to what uh, to what we wish for. We find ourselves kind of, ooh, let down, so we, you know, or oh there's another thing that came up I didn't want, or I don't quite get enough of this. It's never warm enough, or sunny enough, or you know. And the Baba is very strong that, <clears throat> you know, one tries to find, even internally, some nice space that one can be in, peaceful space. I think, uh, it's a natural instinct. And then we feel settled. Without that, you feel unsettled, edgy, you know, not comfortable. Buddha said that the resolution to this is to there's a third noble truth to the complete relinquishment, letting go, dispassionate, no strings attached. Of mm. that very same kind of energy, that craving, that, that thirst, which, which chases here, there, here, there, here, there to let go of it. Sounds simple enough. It would be if that if that was something we did, we had a dis choice over. If you could say, "Don't feel thirsty," <laughs> and it would happen, it'd be simple. But it's not. It's not. It's not happening at the level of conscious choice making, or it's beneath that. It's like saying, "Don't feel frightened." <laughs> Don't feel happy. It happens. you know. And reflex. So you have a whole path, eightfold path, to try to bring around the conditions, the supportive conditions that can make this possible. The eightfold path actually is a, is a very, you know, um, thorough exposition. It means basically everything. You know, the views, the attitudes, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we act. The kind of efforts we put in, how we should apply ourselves, what are the criteria for our efforts, our energies, how we sustain a sense of witnessing or watchfulness of what we're doing so we can learn, how we can deepen our mind into, into um, areas that are beneath thought, so you get with samadhi, you get to the really this sense of feeling the reflexes where they're actually happening so then they can be relaxed and released and uh, Buddha is saying there's no real uh, liberation without samadhi it's not possible wisdom doesn't occur without that so in other words what that means is you have to go quite deeply beneath the thinking mind to find the roots of this reflex behavior and everything else Kind of gives you the right attitudes, the right efforts, and you 're looking into it mm. now how do we how do we manage to cultivate that uh, in, in, our, in daily life we 're not sitting in med- meditating all the time, obviously, doing formal meditation practice is a very good way to flex the muscles of the mind, um, but you know. Doesn't mean that Tanha takes a day off when you come out of meditation, it's right there. Often you know, that's its most obvious features. You start to come into contact with sights and sounds and touches and tastes and possibilities and projects and maybe this and could be that. You know? You know, it starts to get you going, doesn't it? Trying to figure it all out. Work it out. Sometimes I get that happening—that in my mind, thinking, "Oh, I wish I didn't have to think about anything, about other people, about this, about that, about the way it's supposed to be, the way that, you, know, you know." It's like the the existence seems to require this you know, on this level. So then, how do you how do you uh, manage to find release in in the or keep uh, having insight in the daily life? Mm-hmm. Is it possible do you have that samadhi faculty as something that's working? That sati, mindfulness, effort? Of course, the, the principle of effort is that you just continually look or, or have your wisdom faculties open for unskillful behavior and skillful behavior, and you support and protect and keep sustaining one and you acknowledge and relax and release another, and then you begin to see through through just bearing witness, this ongoing presence of mindfulness, how the level, what unskillful behavior is. It's obviously, you know, little more than, than just the, 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 the precepts. You know, all kinds of things one was deceitful or not honest, not really being bright and clear what one's doing uh hang, holding on to grudges, um you know, these are unskillful behaviour, and just kind of worrying and feeling and and uh holding resentment unskillful behaviour. So you start to see the core the effects of what, what your mind is doing. You see, you know, and in this effort to just you know check that. This is very helpful because in a way just that quality of of effort in in the present moment and mindfulness when you check a thought or a kind of ongoing attitude just the act of checking it means you also begin to see the roots of it. It's interesting that the very Sometimes the most difficult feelings are the one that almost engender a kind of samadhi because you have to go deep quickly to get to the roots of it. Mm-hmm. So when I was in, years ago when I was in, um, in Thailand, I was going to this with this Ajahn Kawe and we, we said, we, we decided to go, he decided we want to go to Tudong. In uh, Kaoyai National Park, because there were tigers there, and uh, so he invited me along. Oh well, okay. And then he had this idea that we'd um, we'd spend the night out in the national in the national park. We spent about a week or ten days there, I think, and uh, that we'd at night time we'd be separate so it would be on our own in the jungle, because he said, then you get more fear. As the tigers are there, he says, fear is very good for samadhi. Because when you get the wave of fear comes up, the terror of being eaten alive by some gigantic carnivore, then it almost immediately, you know, if you don't actually go nuts with fear, just <laughs> is possible to do, it kind of drives your mind to a, to a depth. This is his idea. And yeah, it all of worked. Yeah, certainly, I had a few, uh, one time, you know, when I thought I was hearing a tiger coming. Certainly didn't have any distracting thoughts or feel drowsy, you know, you're bolt upright, <laughs> and sweating, and, you know, mind goes completely still and just sensing this kind of the vice like grip of the fear. And then, you know, made the mind very concentrated. <laughs> And somewhere in there, you know, I think yeah, that, particularly in that situation, is that, you know, you get to the point where you think there's actually nothing you can do. The gigantic carnivore bearing down upon you. There's nothing you, you can do. You can't run faster. You can't defend. You can't see. You don't you can do about it. So it's something you just eventually just drops. You know, An interesting experience. You get to the moment when you're in fear, and then something just just drops and you don't decide it you know it just it almost does it by itself it pushes it to the place where something just has to drop Mm. that was quite I found that very uh, quite a revelation Mm. where it's, it's not I don't do it it just happens it happens because this is where this teaching of Anattā is quite uh, important to, to to contemplate and consider and, and take in. Because there's no person who gets liberated. It's not like you do all these wonderful things and then, lo and behold, you you let go of all your craving and you become enlightened. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Because the the, the, the letting go of craving occurs at a level beneath. Self, because self is one of the things that's the form of craving. You know, it's that, that, that binding together of a sense of self is itself the result of craving, of trying to hold it all together to be something. So, actually, you know, near death experiences are times when you just this something you just begin to let go of the whole sense of being anything. And yet, you're present, you're not kind of spaced out, absent, you're very present. Now, we can't always have near-death experiences, and that's fine with me. <laughs> you can invite a few tigers into the dumb hall in the evening. <laughs> but there are other tigers, if you might have noticed, <laughs> that lurk around in the corners of the mind. Mm. Things that we you get mauled by quite regularly. <laughs> don't quite finish you off. Yeah. And the way it seems to, to work is we, we experience that, that wave of dukkha, you know it could be worry, fear, feeling overwhelmed, feeling the ground disappearing, you know, beneath our feet, feeling you know hurt or blamed feeling some, something we like has left us, whatever those, however you express it, you get this kind of wave of, of feeling rocked by something. Mm. That's the tiger. Mm. And he how are you? And then it's really that it's, you know, the, at that point we generally start to think or emotionally react. Emotionally react, get flustered, look around for some something allowed to hold it together. And we think of something, maybe we, we, you know, we think about ourselves, think of other people, we blame somebody or blame something or try and find some answer to it. We go into all that. And, uh, and a lot of the time it sort of works, in a way, on, a, on an ordinary level. But it doesn't actually um, eliminate this, this root cause, you know, we, we, so, okay, we got past that particular crisis, but then the next one comes along and you get, get presented with these things. And as a contemplative, you start to see there are certain, particularly certain scenarios or certain uh, attitudes or certain places in your mind where the tiger really lurks, you know. Could be blame. You really don't like blame. You know, difficult be anxiety feeling guilty or anxious mm. Yeah, you know, it could be restless you know I never quite get I can't quite get things going the way I want them to somewhere or another some places in one's in one's mental psychological landscape there's these tigers lurking and you start to notice them because strange enough you know in a contemplative life you know things are going on and some things are Good, bad, good, bad. And then you hit one of these, and it, it and then you know, wow. And then uh, you know, maybe things sort themselves, seem to sort themselves. And then after a while, you hit it again. We generally strategize around it. I think uh, certainly some of us in your senior position you get into the responsibility demon where you're trying to make it all work and sooner or later it doesn't work it never quite works and then you get a feeling of overwhelmed or can't do it and you can go into a whole kind of scenario around that blame and feeling useless and, and then you try harder to make it work and then Seems to work, rather well, than crash. Doesn't work, you know. <laughs> uh, and so you can go to hot, you keep going to these these places where you feel kind of blown away or depressed or anxious or overwhelmed. And <clears throat> you know, I think in this in how that these things you probably have you can see your own place or your own. Reactive forces act. This force comes up, and that's the place where you, you know actually there's a great potential for release because you're it, it dealing with something that goes very deep. It may have a superficial aspect to it, you know, some casual remark somebody makes that we feel, I feel myself offended by. It. But it may seem quite small, but yet it, it's going quite deep. Something quite deep in yourself, like I tried so hard, and they, they said this about me,, you know, or she said that about me. You know, it goes to a very deep place, and actually, these are places where you are touching into 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 strong reflex issues, and that 's where believe it or not that 's where the release can happen. You focus there and you hold yourself there. Mm. It's very contradictory to one's one's normal sense of logic, which would be to to get away from it, or to change it, or to find an answer to it. But in contemplative life, you actually start to hold awareness over that. It's taking you to a sub-personal level. Your personality can't work this out. So you do it through the process of meditation. Now, what is, in, in my uh, opinion, really helpful to bear in mind is that uh, our sense of of the, the the instrument of release, you know, is the mind or awareness. And as you meditate, you and you develop more that that, that quality of mind. You begin to get a sense of the mind being a lot more than you normally normal person th- conceives it as. For start, the word mind for most people would mean the thinking organ, your mentality, the ability to conceive, plan, think, figure things out. For a meditator, that's there, and yet that's not regarded so highly. And you might say there's also the mind as the affective sense, the, the sense that the, it's emotion, but it's not emotions, as in you know, joy or anger, it's just the sense of being affected. <clears throat> being moved, being touched, being pleased, being disappointed, being interested, being bored, resisting, moving forward. It's that kind of impulsive center of impulse and emotions and effects and also perceptions where you get a sense of this feels pleasant, this feels friendly, this feels welcoming, this feels weird. doesn't, you know, that's... So you get a sense of awareness is also that. And that has to be entered and developed. So so as you meditate, as a meditator, then this becomes more important. Because this is where we are, start to get familiar with feeling how we are, rather than just thinking about ourselves. And you begin to experience the whole process of being is, is much more a sense of continual shifting, inclinations, uh, proclivities, resistances, eagerness, uncertainties. You're really getting into the mind as, as an ongoing flow of mental states, which are not thoughts. Thoughts accompany them. <clears throat> and then one of the things we practice in meditation is, is the sense of just being with that. Noticing it, being with it, being with how it feels, and that being with become is something that strengthens and it has a certain bodily sense to it, sense of presence, feeling of stability. And this is, you see, the awareness completely, the mind completely really widens and opens to this more total uh, experience of an embodied, effective, responsive, intuitive sense and also uh, an ability to, to think or to, to, to conceive or to get the point. And all the three linking together, the bodily sense, the sense of presence, firmness, the emotive sense, how I'm affected, and then the thinking sense, which is, what does all this mean? You know. And that's what you bring to bear upon your experiences. Not just the thinking bit, not just the emotional bit. So you just bring your emotional mind onto an emotion. It just keeps bouncing around. You know, I feel sad about feeling unhappy. I feel disappointed. I still feel sad about feeling unhappy. I feel depressed. that I'm so disappointed all the time. So I feel annoyed with myself because it goes on. You just continual reverberations. So the being with is much more like a bodily sense where you just... There it is, and you're not trying to fix it or change it. And the Buddha says in the in the Satipatthana Sutta, one just knows this is the mind affected by whatever you know—joy, worry, skillful states, unskillful states—and then you look in the you say, well, what do you do about it? And it doesn't say; it just says, you know it. No, okay, I know that, but then so what? Well, because the pro- the issue really is what well, what does the word to know mean, and this is your knowing it with your awareness, not your thinking. So you you get that you really bear with that, are present with that, get the feeling of that, and you just stay there. And it starts to what happens is the the energy of the of the impulse starts to shift and it's like there's a transference, so you become more the awareness of the mood than the mood. And it's like the the power of that mood just starts to soften. Changes and then you find yourself more in the quality of, of awareness, witnessing or being with than in caught on this in this mood. You know, the tiger starts to deconstruct into something more Buddha-like. So often it's the, the, uh, to, to, to really experience our suffering or our little, particularly the, 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 the meaty ones, the ones that you know so well, the, the ones that get played every now and then, that you're in that same place again, that same, you know, difficult place again. You know? mm. and the place you least like about yourself, the place where you feel most disappointed with yourself or caught or stuck or habitual. You know? So that's the ones you look out for. They've got a particular charge to them. They, they really, you can feel them in your guts. You, know, you go through your whole your whole bodily system, your emotional system, you feel quite caught in it. Sometimes it takes a day sometimes for these things to dissolve, stuck in them. But with uh with practice you can oh, oh that's interesting, you yeah. <laughs> know. There it is again. Yeah. And uh you know, it's rather like being in that in that in that jungle with a tiger. You, there's nowhere to run anymore. You want to make it like that. Like, I know this is difficult. You can't figure it, you can't sort it. You really don't want to be with it. Yeah. And it shouldn't be this way, it's not fair. Yeah, true. This is all true on one level. Yet that is not gonna take it out. So it's being with that. And feeling in the body, feeling in the mind. Feeling in the heart. One of the ways in which we simplify an experience that can be quite blurred, you know, because you know somebody says something, you feel angry with them, and you try to. You see, you get all kinds of things going on. You get the feeling about yourself, about the other person, about the problem you're in, what she should have said, and then you know, you'd rerun the whole scenario, how you could have done it better, you know, in the future, or what you, sh- you know, you've, sometimes what you should have said to her a year ago, but you didn't. You know, you go through this whole thing. So it can be very blurred. And so one of the one of the helpful tools is is called yoniso manasikara, or it means attention that's deep, in depth, or gets to the point. And it summarizes, summarizes that experience. Okay, let's just take the names and identities. Just what's the real point of that particular piece? The real bit of it. What's it? Just the one word. Feeling. Just hurt. Okay. Yeah, or. Um, betrayed, you know, or something like that. And then Once you get the word, it really has a charge to it. You think, oh, that's really it. That's what it feels like. It, you can feel it in your body. It's not, I think he should be more polite. That's not it. <laughs> that's, that's an idea. That the, You know, the feeling is uh, you know, uh, attacked or abused. Oh, yeah, that's it. Got got some you can feel it ring through your nervous system when you really get the one. Then then there then it's there, been presented and you just Oh, that's that's the one. Yeah. Oh no, just just be present, work with that. Open up to that, widen your attention with that. Don't clamp onto it. Just widen how you feel how you feel it in your body. Yeah. And then even who you seem to be. And you get one of these ideas called always, I'm always, or I never, or he always, or she always, and never. So you, know, so you really sense yourself a little piece of someone being born in there. Mm. But you want to get to the point just that the really, where the needle or the tiger's jaws are closing. <laughs> Ah, that's what it is, it's that one. And right there is the place of release. (laughs) Almost in my first um, years of meditation, I remember reading um, you know, some Dhamma teachings, and they were saying, "Well, what you need to do is not, not do anything about the state of mind once you've established the meditation practice just to, just to know the state of mind, just to be with that. This can't be right. You know My mind is crazy. It's a mess. And in a way, it was, yeah, it, it was right but not appropriate at that particular time because, because I just didn't have the, the, the capacity or the facilities to, to get to the point, to really get to the point. You know, the sense of why deep, in-depth attention wasn't properly developed. Mine would just keep Scattering. So yeah, I had to actually train and develop and simplify and build up the quality of effort and energy and concentration and mindfulness and right intention. Yeah. But then I noticed things. Uh, you know, like sometimes you get this sense of on retreat and there's uh, you know, maybe lots of things one has to be thinking about in a monastery. If it was Problems, difficulties, issues, situations. it's thinking going, I don't want to be thinking. I want to stop thinking. Thinking is bad. Stop thinking. You can't get concentrated, you keep thinking. You can't get into jhana. I'm thinking all the time. Thinking is bad for meditation. Stop thinking. and you just get you know, angry or disappointed, frustrated. You try and occasionally you manage to stop it, and then, oh, that's nice. then something else happens you want to think about <laughs> so instead it I find it useful just to, "Ah, oh, this is thinking and how do, how how does thinking feel? just trace there's a sensation running behind my eyes, around my eye sockets. Slight sensation down the neck, top of the top of the shoulders, particular quality of warmth in the body, certain sense of energy, quite quite fast moving energy, and then there's this, there's this something trying to stop it. Well, if we just put aside that something trying to stop it, just really feel wide the awareness over the whole experience of thought. So all you want to do is really feel out thought, not just as a thought but as a bodily experience, the heat of it, the energy of it, the emotional sense of it, and put aside the wanting to be something other than that at that particular time. And almost immediately I get the sense of relief. the struggle stopped. Or if one's struggling, at least not struggling about struggling, to say, this is struggling, struggling feels like this, it feels like energy moving in the chest or the belly or sides of the face thoughts. And it's got, you know, get to the point with it. So, you know, what I find myself is that when I when I do that, when I remember to do that, because you know, there's obviously resistances to it, there's... Oh, the thinking seems to have stopped. It's kind of died away into the background. It's half there, but not really there. It's like outside the room. And there's a sense of space, ease, steadiness, embodiment, centeredness. Hmm. And, yeah. The suffering stops. The point of 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 getting to the point is to bring our minds to a state of unity. This is the guiding principle of Samadhi. Bring your mind to a state of unity where it 's not ifing and ending and about and should and. This means that, and that was just the state of presence with. Mm-hmm. In a daily life, that is uh, facilitated by, by the process of inquiry. You know, what does it, what does an experience really mean to you? you know, sometimes you get these kind of little momentary pictures of, oh, I've got to do this, got to do that tomorrow. I've got to get that actually, what's the, what's right now the meaning of it? Oh, panic? <laughs> or overwhelmed, or fed up—that's it. You know, and you, one of those, you know, you just keep asking. One of those will really ring true, and you feel it. It's almost like you feel it in your running through your body. Then you know you're actually you've got to the point. And then, okay, stay with that sense—the whole sense of that. Yeah. Widen, widen your awareness, soften. Yeah. What right now is needed? What, not what do you need, but what does this particular energy need? What, what, what's there? Some sense of presence with that. Could be just the non-resistance, could be acceptance, could be compassion, could be wideness, spaciousness. And that, that immediately happens, and then the things, the energy releases. So you get these energetic shifts and releases. And it's an interesting thing to to um, practice. Mm-hmm. You know, going to Amravati tomorrow, you know, oh, anticip- expectation, anticipation. Oh. That's what it is. Or perhaps feeling, you don't really want to, but supposed to, got to do my duty. Or, oh, going kind to of an ordination, really inspiring. Or, go to see my friends, nice. You know. However, it strikes you. It's learning to, 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 Crystallise the experiences into really the, the what's what's touching you at that particular moment, and then it can be something that's seemingly inconsequential or trivial. But you're with a practicing Dhamma, you're you're really making your whole life a source of learning and value, and meaning. What's 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 what, what do things mean for you? Hmm. Because if you know that, then you're bound to learn and you're bound to develop. If you're just trying to be something that you're not, you're never really going to get started. And as it's so often said, you know, accepting yourself as you are, it's a kind of facile, easy to say term. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean a philosophical well that's the way I am which is really resignation or indifference or casualness it means actually you know getting to know what really moves you what, you know because it's not self it's not something to feel proud of or guilty about or just you've got to know it you know? And then when you know that, that's what you can be released from. You can't be released from something you're not gripped by. <laughs> you know, So you've got to know really what's holding you. What, you know, what, what, where, what really gets you. You have to, 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 to not just think it or dread it or excuse it or blame it or justify it, but know it, fully know it. There's this uh, this story of Ajahn Chah when they started the the monastery for Westerners. What Panana Chah? This was so. This was way back nineteen seventy. Three, I think, seventy-three, seventy-four, and uh, so, Ajahn Sumedha had been over to this place, I think, and sat under a tree, and the villagers had asked, maybe, maybe some monks could come and live there. It was an old burial ground, so people were frightened of this place, and uh, so Ajahn Sumedha went back to Ajahn Chah, and he said, "Yeah." Ajahn Chah said, "If they want, you know, generally villagers apply ask." And he sends some monks. He thought it'd be a good idea to send some Western monks over there because they're different, different ways of doing things and different attitudes and the ties. So maybe they'd be better off on their own, working themselves out. So he he sent them over there: Agustin Meado and uh, I think Ajin and Pasano and Bobaco so. And uh, so they were there, and then it, they started doing things more like the way the Westerners do it. And because uh, well, was just a who really likes coffee, so they'd have coffee over there. Thais weren't so interested in, in... They liked Pepsis and things like that, you know, cold drinks, but Westerners like hot drinks, coffee. So when word of this got out, you know, hey, they've got hot coffee over there. <laughs> so one of the... Uh, People would say, I, I, I'd like to go to what Panana to deepen my meditation practice. And Ajahn, Ajahn Chah would say, no, you stay here, you're restless, you know. <laughs> so I'd like to go to Wat Panana so I can help some more Ajahn Chant, No, he doesn't need support, you stay here. And then one Anagiri said, I'd like to go to Wat Panana because they got good coffee there. Ajahn Chant said, great, you can go. <laughs> somebody's finally being honest. <laughs> so he said, yeah, he loved it. He said, okay, you can go. <laughs> you know, somebody's actually getting to the point. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, you've, because then you've got to, to, once you've said it, then you've got to actually, you said it, so you've got to look at that, witness that, be with that, get deep with it, because these seemingly you know, simple petty things or small things, you know, are often just the tips of places where we're holding on or seek our comfort. And, you know, sometimes it's embarrassing to find the little comfort zones one has. So one gets a bit guilty about it. And, you know, you get furtive. So there's always somewhere in the monastery people having a quiet cigarette somewhere, you know, (laughs) or reading glossy magazines they shouldn't be reading. Say, <laughs> so, oh, it's just, I'm studying the suitors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, the main thing is to be honest to yourself. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then just, and then really, what is this? What does this mean? What's this? You know. See that kind of crying out for comfort. Something to to just, you know, blot out, blot, veg out in, you know. We could just kind of be absorbed into and not have the pain of having to be awake. (laughs) That's it. That's what I want. (laughs) No responsibility, just just veg out, you know. Okay, how's that feel? Mm, You know, feel it in your, your body and then... You feel the the suffering of it, the pressure of it, the demanding of it and all the kind of layers of defense and guilt and furtiveness or, you know, that can go on around it. Wow. Let's be with that. So it's often this place is... Places where strange qualities of compassion and kindness and acceptance come up. And then there's a release. Often we hold things, one of the things that was to be remembered is a lot of our ways of clinging to things is negative. We don't cling to it in a proving way. We cling to it in a way that helps to preserve our sense of self. You know? So you're kind of like putting a Putting a, um, a cover over something, so you don't really like it, and yet one holds it in a way that means you're not really fully aware of it. You know, so you're clinging to things in a negative way. And the clinging means one feels ashamed of oneself, one feels uh, lacking oneself, one doesn't like, you know, one trying to get away from that. And all that is coming out of this place where we where feel attached to this, this negative perception. So in the sense of just owning that, and then what what, you know and sometimes it is, you get to this place where you really feel quite hopeless and useless. Ah, that's it. Hopeless, useless. <laughs> yeah steady. How does that feel? And I mean, always and bear in mind, it's not to just go into the emotion or, or to, to go into the bodily sense that goes along with that. So you get the whole awareness, and it's in the body, in my experience, that really acts as the, the final piece that allows release to happen. Mm. Something is not moving. Something is not involving itself. something is not resisting itself. something is just there with it, like you know the way that you you feel your 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 warmth or your pain or your sense of your body it's just got that simple no option it 's just this you're just sitting there in the jaws of the tiger and you give up and at that moment they, there's a, then the shift moves into the heart, you get a sense of relief or compassion or. Clarity or something arises and the thing dissolves. So it's, um, you know, and I think quite a lot of the practice is, is being able to get to the point. This is why I don't, see, even though in some ways it can sound like, oh, it's just that, but actually being able to get to the point through these layers of distraction and and confusion and the mind running in different directions and not really knowing oneself and building up all kinds of constructions about oneself without even knowing one's doing it you know and then getting lost in external activities, getting lost in internal activities so that's where the Eightfold Path comes in something to keep you know just just moderating that living in a way that's clear enough open enough, honest enough, straight enough so that you can get to the point. It doesn't happen without the eightfold path, without right intention, right thought, right action, right livelihood, and so on. And yet, you know, those are the those are the, those are the those, that's the ground that we establish. That's the place we establish for this practice of really getting to the one point. Hmm. So, and then it's not self, it's not a person, however intimate it may seem, however much it may seem to be yours, it's not it's just that it's something that's that's um, creating you, or your one's inappropriate attention creates a self out of it. We see this as an energy, as a grip, as a force, and then the, developing that strength. To bear bear that in mind. To be mindful of it. Then release can happen. In small things. Anyone? Anyone?